Hello, my name is Cynthia Kakos, and I am the Maryland State Teacher of the Year for 2017, and I was also the finalist for the National Title of Teacher of the Year. Uh, you are listening to the New Teacher Podcast. The New Teacher Podcast. Get inspired. If you're a new teacher interested in hearing about the latest tips and tricks to inspire you in the classroom, you've come to the right place. The New Teacher Podcast features interviews with award-winning classroom teachers, the latest authors, and educational leaders recognized for their proven teaching techniques and strategies. Hear the stories of their success and failure. To listen to past episodes, view show notes, or to contact us, please visit our website at newteacher.org. Now here's your host, Anthony Arno. Hello and welcome to the New Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Arno, and I'm so glad that you can join us here today. This is the show where we talk with outstanding teachers of the year and the latest educational authors to inspire you in the classroom. Today, we have the Maryland Teacher of the Year, Sia Kiriakakos. Sia is an art teacher who has also been nominated for the national title of Teacher of the Year. But before beginning the show today, I want to send out a special shout out to a former guest, Nate Bowling, who was also the Washington State Teacher of the Year. Nate just posted that he's moving to the United Arab Emirates with his wife to teach. If you remember, it was Nate's classroom that President Xi of China paid a visit to, and he gifted the school with ping-pong tables and the opportunity for 100 students to visit China that following summer. Nate has had a national voice when it comes to public education, and I'll post a link where you can hear Nate tell why he made the decision to leave the teaching profession here in the States. You know, very often I talk with these teachers of the year, and it's interesting how some of them decide to leave the classroom for something else. Well, Nate wasn't leaving the profession, and you can find a link for his video and episode number 16 of the podcast at newteacher.org. And now, here's today's show. I'm really excited to bring you today's guest, who is not only the Maryland Teacher of the Year, but she was also a finalist for the title of National Teacher of the Year. But probably even more impressive is her background. As the State Teacher of the Year, she teaches art. Please welcome to the New Teacher Podcast, Sia Kiriakakos. Hi, Sia. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited. Well, I'm excited to talk to you, too. Thank you again for joining us today. Sure. Sia, tell us a personal story about a teacher that inspired you as a student, and what do you remember the most about them? Um, I have a couple of teachers that um, I love dearly, um, but the one that really touched me and affected me and changed me and made me the person that I am today was Kiria Duzeni, Mrs. Duzeni. She was my English teacher in Greece, so... Um, Kiria Abuzeni, I was assigned, she was assigned to me when I was in third grade. And, um, I went to Greece when I was six. Uh, I had been born here in America. 
and my parents decided at six that um, me and my brother should be Greek, and we uh, returned to Greece. Well, I went to Greece for the first time my parents returned. And by by third grade, I had forgotten most of my English that I had learned here because I basically spoke Greek even in my home in America. And um, I came to Kiria Vuzeni, whom I didn't like at the beginning because um, she she spoke English, the British accent, Queen's English. And I was American, obviously, so I did not want to learn English. But uh, with time, I realized that she became kind of almost my surrogate mother in many ways. She, like, real, she realized, I'm dyslexic. So she realized that I had some kind of learning disability, but in Greece at the time, um, there was no way to diagnose something like this. And usually kids with any kind of disability were usually taught, uh, called the, my parents were told that I was lazy or I was slow. I wouldn't amount to very much, but, and they believed my Greek teachers, but my English teacher saw something else. She saw this really creative kid that thought outside the box, but learned in a different way. And she figured out that I was an auditory learner. And if she said it to me, read it to me, and then had me look at the text, I learned it. And so with her help, she unlocked a whole world of knowledge. What a great story. And it was incredible. Um. I carry her with me every day. I'm trying really hard to not cry right now. Aww. She's like my mentor, and she's, she's gone now because obviously it's been so long. Does she know that you eventually became a teacher? Yes, she did. Uh, but she was most proud that I was also an artist. And um, so when I was 16, I returned to the States. And I finished high school here and uh, public high school. I went to 11th and 10th, uh, 12th grade here. And um, when I came to the States, the credits I was missing to graduate were art, uh, physical education, American history. That was it. So I had to go to for two years to um, uh, American high school so I can have those graduation requirements met. But that meant I could have, I had four hours of art every day because I didn't have art in Greece and I could have had all, I could have all this, my extra classes being art. And that's where I met the second teacher who had, who asked, actually put me on my road to becoming an artist, which is Mrs. Fight. And I love her dearly. And last year when I was named uh, Maryland State Teacher of the Year, I asked her to come to the gala. And we didn't know if I was just one of the finalists right. at the time that I would be named. And she sat with my family. Aww. And I think, I'm not sure who cried more, my mother <laughs> or her. What a great story. What a great you story. Sia, your background wasn't always in teaching. Tell us a little bit about your background and the exact moment when you decided that you wanted to become a teacher from the time you spent in Connecticut. Mm. So I was Miss Fight, my high school art teacher, as I was graduating, asked me what I was going to do. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to go to UMBC with all my Greek cousins who were studying engineering, and I'm just going to go there. And she goes, well, did you ever think about Micah? 
And um, I said, no, my parents don't want me to go to Micah because obviously there's no future for an artist because my parents were Greek immigrants. They were much more interested in me having some stable job that provided for my family one day. And uh, she's like, well, Micah wants you to go there. So she, we packed this little Datsun that my brother had with the sculptures that I had made. And my mother and I in this fight went to Micah. And between the two of them, one supporting my spirit and ideology and the other one, that my financial well-being, they got me into Micah. Like the, the, the gentleman who interviewed me, the counselor, was blown away by the work, which was presented between me and this fight. And then my mother came and stood underneath him two feet because he was a Goliath of a man. He was huge. <laughs> And stood under, and my mom is like barely five feet tall. She's four nine. And she points her finger up under his beard and says, no money, no art, and turns around and walks out the room. <laughs> <laughs> so Micah had no choice but to give me a scholarship. Right? And what is so, Micah? Micah, sorry, the Maryland Institute College of Art, one of the best schools still, um, on this side of the United States, it's not the hemisphere for art. It's an amazing, I'm going to put a plug here, an amazing institution to learn art and design. And now they're expanding art design and the business of that, of, of, of those practices. So I came out as a sculptor from MICA, and um, I loved sculpture, and I loved making art, and I was an art star, and I was doing really well. And I went to Connecticut, and I was part of a lot of nonprofits, either setting up shows, um, um, looking at artists, writing. I was just learning the business of being an artist, you know, writing, looking at resumes, writing newspaper articles, whatever it was. I was doing different jobs for different little galleries. And in the midst of that, there was a friend of mine who taught in an at-risk neighborhood. Um, these little girls between the ages of 8 and 16. And every weekend she'd say, oh, Sia, come and teach with me. It would be every Saturday. And i say, no, 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 I'm an artist first. I'm not a teacher. I'm not coming. Because I had this idea that, you know, like people had put in my head that those who teach, what is it? Those who can't, can do and those who can't teach, is that what uh, goes, this kitschy thing? In any case, so I wasn't going to go teach. So one uh, Saturday, she called me up. It was like a Thursday, actually. She's like, I'm really sick. I got the flu. I can't go. I can't call the kids. There were no cell phones at the time. She's like, please, please, please go. And like, fine, I'll go. What, can I, what, do you, what do you want me to teach? She goes, you can teach whatever you want. Just get there after the sun rises, after the set, leave before the sun sets, and wear the wash. So, um... My final teach paper making. You know, paper making is a lot of work. So I spent two days grinding paper. And on Saturday, I loaded up my vats of paper into my car. I drive up to this um, little neighborhood in um, New Britain, it was. And I come out. It's early fall. There's water on the ground. It's kind of cool, the air, because it's Connecticut. And... Um, and I go and I open this. It was a, a little garage that was half underground 
I pull up the garage door and I step in and I'm ankle deep in water. Wow. And then I realize why with the galoshes, right? So I put my I put my um bats on the ping pong table and exactly eight o'clock as my friend told me, I take this old fashioned bell and I start uh walking through the alleyways, ringing it like over my head, like ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. <laughs> and I was like there's no way that anybody's going to come out for this. I've wasted my time. And lo and behold, out of these little tiny row homes come out streaming little girls wrapped in their nightgowns and robes, pop-tarts in hands <laughs> with two galoshes because they knew. And we made, they came into that, little garage and all day long we made art and we did it quietly some we were giggling we were it was it was just so beautiful and so earnest and it's 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 that moment that i shared with those girls that i live every day in my classroom now that i teach my students and it was incredible. It unlocked in myself. Um, I realized that within me, I, I have the, the potential to unlock other people's potential. And that was a real gift. And I'm sorry. And That's okay. Similar to the gift that perhaps I think Kirio Guzani had felt because she had she somehow had tapped into my potential through her sensitivity of an understanding of education and pedagogy, um, how do you teach in different ways? And um, it was incredible. So that following Monday, I went to Central Connecticut University and signed up to become a teacher. Tell us an inspiring story maybe about a student who has kept in touch with you, and what are they doing today? Oh, um, oh, like they pop into my head one after the other, the names. I, I think perhaps um, I want to talk to you about um, two of them. Can okay. I talk to you about two of them? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I have this uh, young man, Brandon. He used to come into my classroom uh, Brandon Towns, and Brandon now goes to Morgan State University, and he wants to be, he really wants to be an artist, and I'm like, why don't you do do a dual major? Become an engineer and an artist. You'll be the best engineer out there. And that way you can also make a living and also make art, or make create a creative living. I feel like that's what engineers sometimes lack, is the creativity. And, um, So Brandon used to come to my class sparingly, and he would give me stories like his allergies were bothering him or his his asthma (laughs) came. I don't know, but he he had these little stories. I'd see him every so often. But I saw something in Brandon, like he had, but he was also very interested in photography. So when he did come into class, We'd go online and look at photographers, and he'd tell me about photography. And whenever I would uh, teach a new technique, he'd just grab it and run with it and do amazing work. And he often complained that I didn't help him. But I didn't help him because 
because I knew he could do it, right? And I just said, I think you can do it. Just keep on doing it. Like, I'll come back to you. And I said, just work on the nose. I'll be back after I help her with the ear. And by the time I got back, he was done with the nose, you know. So um, so I took him. I had this opportunity to, um, I said, what is it called? Life, uh, Speak Life Tour, it's called. This young woman in Baltimore City right. uh, sets up shows um, where she brings kids from all over the city to show their talents, whatever they are, whether it's art or slam poetry or selling crafts or food, whatever. So she contacted me. She's like, do you want to showcase your students? And one of the kids I picked out of the 10 was Brandon. And I said, listen, Brandon, be ready to talk to people when we get there. You might be interviewed. I didn't know he would be interviewed, but, you know, I figured people would see his work and say, hey. Sure, just to prepare him. Yeah. And he came. He was all dressed up. And um, all of the kids came, to my surprise. And they were decked out and ready to go. They had the, we put, I put the work up on the wall. People were hoarding around their pieces and asking them questions. And then we were invited on stage to just say, I was supposed to just introduce my kids. And then I said, I just passed the mic down and said, just tell them what you were thinking when you did your painting. And it was wonderful. My kids opened up and bloomed. But for Brandon, he saw something else. He saw that one, his purpose in life was to make this happen for every creative kid in Baltimore City. So on top of being this brilliant engineer that he is, this great photographer, what he wants to do is also curate shows. So he keeps on finding different venues where he can set up art shows for kids in Baltimore City, wow. and he does that for them. And after that, he came to my class every day. Not only did he come to my class every day, he came after school every day. And he insisted that we did a photography club. And he, because of him, I bought cameras. I bought, like, this huge, beautiful printer that my principal was generous enough to put in the budget for us. We, you know, he created a program. What an incredible story. Hopefully the new teachers out there listening will know to recognize when they have a Brandon sitting in front of them. Great. And then you had another one? And, uh, I have multiple, but <laughs> I'll, um, this this one is my, my art daughter. I, I would adopt her if I could, but she's 22 and her mother loves her. And her name is Deja Gorham. And she is one of the most talented young people I've ever met in my life. She does poetry, she creates her own beats, she dances, and she paints like an angel. She sings. She's, um, and uh, she came into my classroom probably in the middle of fall, and I was doing portraiture, and I was like, oh, my God, great. They just gave me another student. Because, you know, Baltimore City just pile them up on you. And I was already maxed out, 36, 38 kids. Wow. And here comes another one. I didn't even have a chair for her. And I looked at her and I said, can you draw? She goes, yeah. <laughs> 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 like teenagers say. And I, I gave her a piece of paper prayer and I said, we're doing self-portraits. Here's a mirror. And I walked away because I had to take care of all the rest of the kids. And I wanted to see what she could do. 
Like three minutes later, she came back with a finished art piece, you know, something that the other kids who had been working for three weeks. Wow. She had done in five minutes. And I looked at her and I'm like, oh my God, she can draw. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, what was your name again? <laughs> and she's like, Deja. I'm like, oh, Deja. Like, how does you spell it? Oh, your name has my name in it. That's great. And um, I said, Deja, why don't you... I look in the mirror, make your darks a little darker, and put the more depth in it. I don't know where I sent her back. Um, she is incredible, and that year she made all these. Like she became my TA, quite frankly, uh, because most of the kids in Baltimore City don't have a cohesive K through 12 art education, so they they come to you in 11th and 12th grade with no art knowledge. It's like teaching a first grader. Yeah high school art, you know, and we have to make that leap. So not only would she finish her own work, she would do other people's work. And then she would research other kinds of modes of work. So she wanted to do printmaking. So I said, listen, I haven't done printmaking ever, but why don't you look it up and we'll figure it out. Sure enough, she figures it out. We get the supplies, we write a grant, and we're doing screen painting, you know. And um, this year, she went, she's in college. She wants to become a teacher. Oh, what a right? great feeling. Yes. And uh, this year, uh, since my reign of Maryland State teacher has taken me out of the classroom, um, I was often afraid that my students wouldn't have the right instruction because I wasn't there. Because they were, they had a very good sub, but he didn't know how to draw. So um, one morning I was, just dreaming, like, what am I going to do? And I was, I had written over the weekend, um, like, a list of instructions of my expectations, and I was going to drop it off Monday morning, and in my sleep, I see Deja in the front of my room. The, the dream is huge. She, she's, like, I'm not going to go into the dream. In any case, I wake up, and I call Deja up, and I said, Deja, honey, can you um, go to school this week? And because I knew her classes were in the afternoon and teach my kids the way I taught you how to draw. She goes, sure, Miss Kay. But they just always late for things. So I, I figured I'd just go drop off the letter and then go on. I had to leave town. Um, I get there at eight or five. Deja was already in the classroom teaching. Wow. In the front. So I just put the letter down. I gave her a big hug. Yeah. And see that my students would not have gotten through last semester without her. Wow. See, in your yeah. own words, why is art education so important today in the schools? Very often people misunderstand the role that art plays in people's lives, in our kids' lives. Um, art is about beauty. It is about aesthetics. It is about culture. But in the case of my students, it's about opening doors to another future, giving them an opportunity to explore another way of making a living. Um, it's so important for our kids to be given an education that encompasses every talent they might have. But if they're not given that opportunity, like if they're not, if they never are given a drawing class, how would they know that? they can draw or they can learn how to draw or they, they like drawing 
and that potentially that could lead to a job of doing CAD designs or web designs. It, in Baltimore City, we talk about why do our, our young men and women are 25% unemployed. Well, that's because they haven't explored all, all of their options. So when they come into the art class, one, they learn that a lot of them re- realize that 11th, 12th grade, that, oh, my God, I could have a career here. But because they take art at 12th grade, it's too late. Yes. They don't have a portfolio to go in a school like MICA, Maryland Institute College of Arts, or to go to um, use that portfolio to go to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and do video editing or do commercial. Like, they don't have the skills that it would take to get into these wonderful colleges that want them. These places want diversity, but we're not giving enough strategies and ammunition to our kids to go out there and fight for their futures. That's perhaps the the real reason. The second thing that we do in the art room is we build up perseverance, resilience, focus. I mean, like these soft skills that some people are like, well, you can't measure them. So, you know, art's not important. That somebody just told me that recently. They're, um, they're like, well, we can give a um, recommendation for a budget for the arts in your district because there's no way of measuring what the kids learn. But these things are invaluable. When the kids learn how to focus and put down their phones and actually produce something, when they realize that hard work and perseverance can get you somewhere, like that's what you want. Right, And that's what we do in the classroom. And also, um, what happens is they come in and they're really unsure of their abilities themselves, their voice, their creative voice, their real voice. And in the art room with, with that work, they start understanding that their voice matters. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but they get validated by their peers. And then they produce an art piece, they start believing in themselves. And that has a trickle-down effect because if they can do a realistic painting, which is really important to them that they can do that, um, they can do anything. Then they can pass the math class and right. read that book. Right. You know? Build they, up that confidence. Have, it builds up their confidence. I was sitting next to the CEO, and I'm going to mispronounce the the name of the co- the company, Northern Grumman, is that how you say it? Northrop, Northrop Gum- Grumman, yes. Northrop Grumman, who do amazing work with our kids. They give out these great scholarships. Three of my students got $20,000 engineering scholarships um, to in order to pursue late, and they're in 10th and 11th grade, right? Like, so I was... I was there as a keynote speaker because I am Maryland State Teacher of the Year. So I'm sitting next to the CEO, and he asks me politely, making conversation, what do I do? Why was I there? And I said, I'm an art teacher. What do you teach? And I started saying, like, bogus stuff, you know, like teaching and painting and drawing. And then he's like, painting and drawing. And then I'm like, well, let me tell you what I teach. I teach them how to sit down. I teach them how to focus. 
I teach them that there's direction to be followed before you are free to do something. I unlock their potential. They, I teach them how to believe in themselves and teach them how to talk in the world and become ambassadors. And I went on and on and um, about creativity and unlocking that creativity. And he's like, you know, I spend so much money on behavioral psychologists to come in and, uh, and, and bring this out in my engineers pull out that creativity and said, well, all you need is get them into an art class. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And what did he say? Uh, He's like, he nodded. He's like, yeah, give me your card. (laughs) (laughs) See, uh, I mean, yeah. What are some of the most important tools that a new teacher should have in their toolbox that you often refer to? I think beyond the fact that you need to um, have a system to manage your class, because if you know, if you can manage your class and get the attention of your students and have a rhythm that the kids know, right, Um, you can teach anything. Beyond that, um, you need to really love your students. You need to... This is this is not for people who I don't know. You, nobody goes into teaching for the money, did you? No. <laughs> and maybe some people go in for the vacation because they think, oh, I have summer off. Um, you figure that out really fast that you need that for in order to stay sane. It's hard to work, so you need to. Know your content, first of all. Like, know your content, love your content, because you're like a used car salesman. You're selling. You're selling what you're teaching, and you need to do it with a lot of love and excitement. You know, you want everybody to want to draw those triangles and measure those angles and, you know, figure out those formulas and put down that paint, and you should you should be really excited about teaching your content and love it and and know it. So you can predict any kind of weird mistake that might happen because those mistakes will happen. So be ready for the unexpected and love your students. You have to love your students. If you don't love your students, you're in the wrong business. Absolutely. We're teaching, we're teaching kids. You know, we teach kids and they need us and they need our love. And they need us to believe in them. And through our eyes, if we believe in the kids, through our eyes, they start believing in themselves. They can see that. You know how they say, I remember this with my daughter when my first one was born, and they said, um, a, child, um, a child develops its self-esteem by the way the mother looks at it in those first years of life. Because you're looking at the child then, you're like, oh, my God, I love this baby. This is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. And, you know, all these babies are all ugly, but somehow (laughs) (laughs) they're beautiful to the parents, you know. And you're in love with your child. And that kid that comes into your classroom is looking for that same look in their eyes, you know. And, And it needs to be honest and earnest. And right. real, because they recognize that too. 
I also think there's all this school uh, of thought that you don't smile at your kids and you're not vulnerable with your kids. I think we should throw that out. That's not true. You should smile to your students. You should be kind to your students. And you should be firm, for sure. And, um, and, and you should be vulnerable. We're all human. And they'll give you that all right back. Sia, what is one mistake you made as a teacher, and what did you learn from that mistake? I think perhaps, um, you know, teaching is extremely humbling, right? So thinking that you know everything is a real mistake. <laughs> um, so I remember coming, you know, coming to Baltimore City uh, seven years ago. I had taught elementary school in Connecticut. I had taught college students and pre-college students in Sweden. I taught college students in Greece. I had taught um, um, people who were in the evenings who were interested in art, like elderly women. I had taught, like, every level around the world. I had made speeches. I, I, you know, I was a veteran teacher. And I came to Baltimore City thinking, this is a piece of cake. It wasn't. <laughs> it was as if it was as if I, it was my first day of school. I knew nothing about teaching these kids from the city. I was not an urban educator, and I learned very quickly that first day that I better catch them and engage them and give them a lot of work. So. Um, I learned that if if I don't have the second project lined up and I have any kind of downtown, I lose my class. So let's pretend like I'm teaching portraiture, right? And the kids are going to be done in a week. I can see it. I can see their progress. And in about a week, most of them will be done. I start teaching the next unit a week earlier. So I don't have any downtime. There's nobody waiting around, not knowing what to do. Because that's when you get in trouble in Baltimore City, at least. When that space, like any any idleness can cause trouble. So that's what I learned. What was it like at the White House ceremony as the Teacher of the Year from Maryland? Um, you know what? We were, we were honored by the office. It was really, for me, as the child of an immigrant, it was my parents and my relatives were so proud of me. Like, they are first-generation Greek-Americans. They came from Greece. They worked really hard. And to have their daughter go to the White House was a big deal. You know, whether they agreed or disagreed with politics, of a government now, it didn't matter. It was amazing to be um, in the presence of our president and in the Oval Office. And I, I also got the opportunity to invite President Trump to Baltimore. Um, I'm not sure he's going to make it, but he did accept the invitation for me to return and talk to him about education and the arts. Um, I don't know how much impact I will have. <laughs> wow, that sounds uh, great. 
Yes, and Betsy DeVos also promised. She actually promised to come. So I'm filling out the forms for her because you have to make a formal request. And my principal, um, Craig Rivers, who's an amazing human being and educator and cares about the kids, she's like, he, he's very welcoming. And he's like, we need to have these conversations. Um, these The people who run our country need to be in our classrooms. They need to be in our schools and see what we do as, educa- as educators every day for our kids and who our kids are and what all the policies and all the rhetoric and who this impacts and how it impacts our kids because that's the only way we can promote positive change in our country. Did you have any conversation with President Trump in the Oval Office? Absolutely, yes. So uh, I was the fourth one in, I think, and only by coincidence I was close to the door when um, we came when they opened up and invited us to go in. Um, and I talked to Melania, who's uh, Slovakian, so we're both Balkan sisters from the Balkans. And I introduced myself and I told them that I was from Maryland and from Baltimore City. And um, I wanted him to come see my kids. And then when when I returned for my photographs. Um, I did not take the photograph immediately. I I talked to him about my students and how important it was that he come to Baltimore City. And, and he talked to me for a few minutes about it. Um, and it was great. Like, he gave, I was able to get the card of um, his liaison to come back. So I figured this fall... If, uh, God willing, I can return and hopefully we can have a conversation. I don't know. Now, was your mother with you at that ceremony? No, we were able to bring only one person. And I didn't want to bring only my mother or only my father. I thought that would be really unfair. Yes. (laughs) Who would I bring? Who would you choose, right? Yes. um, So I I brought my husband, who's also an educator. Morgan Walter, and um, and he has supported me every step of the way. Um, I think he knows more about this whole process than I do at this point. So, <laughs> a big shout out to your husband. What does he teach? Morgan, his name is Morgan Walter, and he teaches special ed English and uh, Augusta Fell Savage in Baltimore City. He was an art teacher, however, for seventeen years. We met at the Maryland Institute College of Art. He's a painter. I'm a sculptor. It was not love at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> you guys found common ground, though, I hope, right? We did, and we 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 jive in every kind of way. We, like, politically, what we think, um, well, we were, like, really um, engaged with uh, the educational conversations and part of our unions, really strong union members, Morgan actually serves on the Kerwin Commission. He's the only teacher in Maryland on the commission uh, that determined the budget of how we finance our schools. So, Sia, tell me, how proud is your mother as an immigrant to America that her daughter became the state teacher of the year in Maryland? Okay, I'm going to tell you that my mother... 
I don't, I'm not sure she hugged me as a baby. She's like the dragon mother. <laughs> She's really tough as nails. And that night um, of, of the ceremony, when they announced my name and the, ro- the room roared, I have to tell you, at the gala, the, it was an, um, it fit 2,000 people, the, the, the mansion that it was taking place in. And um, a third of that was people supporting me, and they had to buy their tickets. There was $70 a ticket from Baltimore City. And uh, my family had two tables. And when they announced my name, my mother stood up and gave me this hug. Aww. And I counted it later. It was 59 seconds. <laughs> I went on video. Like, 59 seconds is a long time. Absolutely. <laughs> when somebody's hugging you. When 2,000 people are watching you, absolutely. She was crying. Oh. And, um, but, like, then they brought me up to make a speech. And she was in the audience, and she was crying, and she was videotaping me. And, you know, my mom is really technologically sa- savvy. I bet she's <laughs> screaming it. And I, I just couldn't see my dad. And my dad was standing next to Morgan, my husband, and they were both crying together. Wow, what a moment. See ya. My dad was a cry. You threw out the first pitch at a Baltimore Orioles game. What was that like? Twice. Twice. I did it for Baltimore City Teacher of the Year, and this year for Maryland State Teacher of the Year. <laughs> and were they strikes or were they balls? They were strength. Wow. No Go girl. Before that. <laughs> How much practice did you do beforehand? Well, me and the, the Oriole, the bird that they have over there, we practiced right before the game. He showed me. <laughs> I, am, I passed, when I came to America, did I, I told you, right? Like I had to take gym in order to graduate. You know how I passed gym? How? Back then in 11th and 12th grade. Taking showers. You could say you got five points per shower at Parkville High <laughs> because they wanted kids to take showers. So I took one in the morning, one before and after lunch, one at the end of the day, one before and after gym. That gave me a B. Wow. So I had, <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea how to throw a ball. So, But it was great fun. And I have to say for Maryland State, it was even bigger of a deal for me than it was when I was Baltimore City and I was up there basically by myself. Wow. You know, actually, when I went up there for Baltimore City, I asked if I could bring my students and have them pass me the ball and then I would throw it. Um, and of course, you know, they're very precious with their lines on the, the yes, field. Don't step on those field. lines. They don't want anybody touching <laughs> their grass, you know. Um, so they didn't let me. But this time, I had the privilege of sharing that mount with the Maryland State teachers. All 24 of wow. us were there together. And they surrounded me. They made this sort of semicircle and um, supported me as I threw the ball. I felt kind of guilty. I did pass the ball to them <laughs> this time. So. And that I was the one pitching because um, I think they would have all love to have done that. It was really beautiful. It's really nice to be there. Like, I'm not, I'm not an athlete at any stretch of the word, you know, and it, it was such an honor. I, I really love how our city 
every every part of our city really supports its teachers. Absolutely. Uh, the Oreos do a great job. As Teacher of the Year, you travel around the state. What is one message that you share with your colleagues across the state? Very, it's it's about equity, I would say, not only about around the state, but around the country. My, I'm, uh, um, I think it's so important that our kids have access on equitable education. And and it's not so, and I just don't understand how it can't be. Actually, I do understand it's all about money, but we need to to um, reassess our values as people and decide what's important to us um, for our future. And our future are our children, and, and we need to educate them in order to make sure that um, we continue being the number one nation first in the world if that's what people are thinking, because everybody's always thinking about the bottom line. But I just want my kids to be happy and safe and live productive lives. And the only way they can do that is through having the a proper education. Um, my first job in Baltimore City that, that year that I had nothing, no idea what to do, when I walked into my classroom, I had been hired. The, a week later, they hired me, and really that first week, the interview um, was more of a warning. You know, the principal, like, I came in for the interview thinking she's going to ask me questions, and what she told me is, um, these children are without hope. Who says that? Yeah, especially as an administrator. As an administrator, um, but if we... If we they, they, we are their hope. If they come without hope, we become hope. We teach hope. And the following week when I showed up in my classroom and I was going to be teaching the following day, um, I walked in. There was no chairs or desks. I'm like, I went back downstairs. I'm like, where are the desks and the chairs? I'm thinking that there were in another room. They told me to go on Craigslist. Wow. We live in America. It's unheard of. I had been to Sarajevo after the war. There were holes in the walls of the classrooms, but they had desks and chairs and pencils and pencils and paper. I can't understand why in West Baltimore you walk in a classroom and you don't have those four things. Wow. So it is about equity. Absolutely. And, and, and like having the their base... The teachers having the basic uh, resources to teach. How, like, I, you know, I've been in schools where, okay, so they had the art teacher, supposedly for the art credit, but they gave us no supplies. How am I supposed to teach art with no supplies? Right. Like, give me what I need in order to help my students. So, it's getting better. We have an amazing CEO now. Dr. Santa Lisa's, who really wants to educate the whole child. And oftentimes it has to do also with the administrator. And if you have great administration, you have great schools, and you have a good team underneath you. So I work with amazing people, Craig Rivers, Laura Schultz, or my administrators at my school at 
Merville, Mergenthal Vocational Technical High School. And they recognize that the teachers need the supplies in order to work. And they provide us with the moral support, the physical support, the, any kind of support we need because they love the kids. They have their heads at the right place. Wow. What is one thing a new teacher can do tomorrow in their classroom, whether or not they're an art teacher or not, to become a better teacher? Get to know other kids. Get to know other kids. That's the most important thing ever. I have find the way that they feel comfortable to get to know their kids. I um, The first thing I have my students do, that I'm going to do this on Tuesday, is I write my phone number. I'm not advising this for everybody else to do it. Find a different way for yourself. Um, uh, I write my phone number up on the board, and I say, that's my number. Turn around, take a selfie, send me your photo. That way I have their phone number at that point and their photographs and their name. So I can call them. I can text them at any point and be in contact. Communicate with your kids the way they communicate with each other. And you will be successful. It's communication, especially if you're a new teacher. That is such an easy objective for you to achieve the first day of school. That's it. That's it. You know, and that night I go home. And I am. I find something cool that I like in the photo. I'm like, oh, I love how your eyes look with that light. Oh, I love, like your hair. Thank you for volunteering. I try to just send a note out. Greet your kids at the door. You know, like, what a wonderful thing. Be there. Give them a hug. Give them a handshake. Whatever. Um, what, however you feel comfortable, like, sharing your body. You know, like, like a fist bump like elbow, whatever it is, you know, make that connection. What is one book you could recommend to our new teacher listeners that would help them become a better teacher? I think there's a book called Drawing with the Right Side of Your Brain, and it's all about focus and um, building focus and learning how to see and learning how to observe. I think we don't observe the world around us anymore. We don't slow down, and our brains are really loud with information and our hands with our phones and the technology that um, we don't have strategies to slow down. And these are great strategies like from blind contact drawing to drawing backwards or drawing with the wrong hand that really make anybody, adult or child, um, focus and builds resilience too. What is one internet resource that has helped you become a better teacher you could recommend to our listeners? I don't use internet except for doing research for artists. Like, I don't use them for, like, um, uh, however, ASCD in, um, in, in Washington has tons of resources for teachers. Absolutely. Like, from leadership to lesson plans to... Um, quotes, like uh, tackling issues. So, if, uh, or if you want to publish something, they'll help you. If you have a book to publish, they're an amazing resource. But for me personally, in my classroom, I work individually with every student and I look for resources that help the kids individually in terms of artists and techniques and things like that. See, are you ready for the final minute before the final bell? Yes. Morning person or night owl? Night owl. 
Mac or PC? Mac. Your favorite book from your childhood? Hotel Esteos Pirasmos to Kazadzaki, The Last Temptation of Kazadzaki. Your first paying job? I grew up in a restaurant. My parents owned a little carryout. I've been working since I could carry stuff. Three? <laughs> One television show you try to watch every week? I, I watch just series that have been ended. So I don't like things that I have to wait for every week. I'm watching The Messengers. One famous person you would invite for dinner, either living or dead? Eva Hess, painter, uh, artist. It's snowing in Maryland. What are you going to do with this unexpected day off from school? Oh, build a snowman with my kids. And the next item on your bucket list? Go to India. And there's the final bell. Sia, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Oh, they can email me. They can Twitter me. They can Facebook me. And my email, are you ready? S-I-A-K-Y-R-I-A-K. A-K-O-S at gmail.com. And we'll have those links on the show notes page at newteacher.org. So today we're talking with Maryland State Teacher of the Year, Sia Kariakakos. Sia, thank you so much for joining us today. I know a lot of our listeners will really enjoy hearing the perspective from a State Teacher of the Year who's an art teacher. Thank you so much. Well, you, you're welcome. Goodbye. Thank you, Kia. Did you catch the pause and the emotion when she was describing the moment that she decided she wanted to become a teacher? That's the mark of a passionate teacher, whether it be a state teacher of the year or a first-year teacher. It comes from deep within. Next time on the podcast, I'll have Doug Berman. Doug is the author of the book, Computer Science K-12, Imagining the Possibilities bringing creative and innovative computer science to your school. Here's a clip of my talk with Doug, where he talks about what exactly is computer science. So that's a great question. And I think if you asked um, about 10, uh, well, yeah, if you ask 10 elementary school students, uh, teachers, middle school teachers, high school students, college teachers, and people in the the, um, industry, I think you'd get different answers from all of those. I think for me, uh, what I've sort of come to to realize about it, it's the coming together of you know electronics, computers, software, hardwares, hardware, and then people and ideas. And when you bring all of that into the mix in various ways and add some creativity to it, I think what comes out of that are I think what that is is computer science, and that what comes out of that are new tools, new gadgets, new ways of doing things, new systems, improvements on systems um, that are just kind of fueled by the tools of computer science. That's Doug Bergman, author of Teaching Computer Science K-12, bringing creative and innovative computer science to your school, right here on the next episode of the New Teacher Podcast. Well, if you've enjoyed listening to the show, please subscribe so you can receive all the latest episodes as soon as they're released. I'd love to hear from you, whether you're a new teacher or a veteran teacher. I can be reached at thenewteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Arno. Be well.